I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Vitamin D and fish oil are very popular supplements. There's new evidence that they can prevent autoimmune disorders. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Many health professionals are skeptical about the value of dietary supplements. Both vitamin D and fish oil have a checkered history for disease prevention. A large double-blind placebo-controlled trial called VITAL produced some surprising results. There are no medicines that prevent autoimmune disorders like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, but omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D were able to do that. What other benefits does fish oil offer? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, new insights on the health benefits of vitamin D and omega-3s. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, the mysterious outbreak of hepatitis in young children keeps getting larger. At the beginning of May, the WHO was aware of over 200 cases in 20 countries around the world. The first cases were reported in Alabama in the fall of 2021. Now, though, cases have shown up throughout Europe, as well as the U.S., Japan, and Israel. A number of children have required liver transplants, and at least one has died. Infectious disease experts are still searching for the cause. They've ruled out hepatitis viruses A, B, C, D, and E. Instead, they're focusing on an adenovirus. Parents should be alert for symptoms such as fatigue, fever, joint pain, stomach ache, loss of appetite, and yellowing of the eyes or skin. Last year, U.S. spending on pharmaceuticals topped $400 billion. That was a 12% increase over the prior year. Analysts largely attribute the increased cost to COVID-19 drugs and vaccines. Expensive new drugs are being introduced for cancer, neurological conditions, and autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriasis, and inflammatory bowel disease. Experts estimate that within a couple of years, the price tag will reach $450 billion. Painful urinary tract infections are usually associated with intestinal bacteria in the urinary tract. Far too many people have repeat UTIs. In fact, 25% of women treated for an initial infection develop a second one within six months and take a new round of antibiotics at frequent intervals. Researchers now suggest that although the medication eliminates bacteria from the bladder, it doesn't get rid of those in the intestines. Frequent antibiotic use decimates many other types of bacteria in the gut, though, and women with recurrent UTIs end up with less diverse microbiota. They're often missing a group of bacteria that tamp down inflammation. The result is increased inflammation in the gut, the blood, and the bladder. More inflammation appears to make women more susceptible to repeat infections. The senior researcher is investigating non-drug approaches such as probiotic foods, fecal transplants, and a natural sugar called manoside. As people get older, their kidney function tends to decline. Researchers wondered whether a structured, moderate-intensity exercise intervention might be beneficial. They recruited nearly 1,200 sedentary senior citizens between 70 and 89 years of age. 
People were randomized to either a two-year exercise program or health education. The volunteers wore accelerometers to monitor their physical activity. The people who participated in the exercise intervention had less kidney function decline compared to the people who received health education. The authors suggest that doctors should, quote, consider prescribing physical activity and moderate-intensity exercise for older adults to slow the rate of decline of kidney function. Gastroenterologists have been paying attention to intestinal permeability. One way to judge how much is leaking from the gut into the bloodstream is the marker zonulin. Investigators used zonulin levels and a marker of inflammation called high-sensitivity C-reactive protein to study the impact of intestinal permeability on prostate cancer. In the Carbohydrate and Prostate Cancer Study 2, 45 men with prostate cancer followed a low-carbohydrate diet or their normal eating pattern. The researchers measured prostate-specific antigen doubling time over six months. After half a year, there were no significant changes in CRP levels. Zonulin levels decreased for men on the low-carb diet and increased slightly among those in the control group. Men who lost the most weight on the low-carb regimen had the slowest PSA doubling times. The scientists suggest we should learn more about the impact of gut microbiota on prostate cancer. A recent symposium sponsored by the U.S. Tea Council summarized a number of benefits tea lovers enjoy. Researchers reported that people who regularly drink tea are less likely to have cardiovascular problems or cancer. In addition, they appear to have improved immune function and better cognitive health compared to those who do not drink tea. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Many health professionals are skeptical of dietary supplements. They maintain that you should be able to get all the nutrients you need from your food. In addition, they suspect that there isn't rigorous scientific evidence supporting supplements. That might be true in some cases, but today we're talking about a large, extremely well-conducted, randomized, placebo-controlled clinical trial called VITAL. Our guest is Dr. Karen Kostenbader. She's a rheumatologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital and a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kostenbader was one of the investigators on the VITAL trial. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Karen Kostenbader. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Dr. Kustenbader, we are so excited about your study. It's called VITAL, V-I-T-A-L. Can you tell us a little bit about this research? Sure. Well, it's not really my study. This is a very big trial, a nationwide trial, that was conducted out of the Division of Preventive Medicine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. And it uh, started back in 2011 and enrolled over 25,000 people, 25,871 people to be exact. These were older men and women across the country, so men age 50 and older and women age 55 and older. Uh, More than 20% were African Americans, and it tested two hypotheses. One was that vitamin D 
intake would be good for you. And the other that was that omega-3 fatty acid intake, were also called fish oils, uh, would be good for you. And they did this and they set it up as a two-by-two factorial trial. So first they randomized these people to get a vitamin D supplement or a placebo. So half got the vitamin D supplement, 2,000 international units a day, or half got a very identical looking placebo. And then they re-randomized people. So then half of each group got the omega-3 fatty acid supplement or an identical placebo. And everyone took these two pills a day, not knowing what they were, in this trial for five years. So the primary outcomes that the original trial developers, which oh, were Dr. Joanne Manson and Julie Beering, who spearheaded the trial and setting it up in the first place, were they were looking at cancer and cardiovascular disease outcomes. And so I quickly realized that this is an ideal setting in which to study whether vitamin D and omega-3 fatty acids would have any effect on new autoimmune diseases, which is what I study and I'm interested in as a rheumatologist. So we followed everyone throughout the trial for new autoimmune disease diagnoses. They were following for new diagnoses of cancer and cardiovascular disease, and other investigators have been following for other things. And uh, the participants were great. They reported all kinds of new doctor-diagnosed diseases. And uh, then we got medical records, and we looked to verify whether they were indeed new when they started. Um, and validated whether they had new diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, polymyalgia rheumatica, autoimmune thyroid disease, psoriasis, um, inflammatory bowel disease, and really any other. There are many, many autoimmune diseases. There are really over 100 autoimmune diseases. Those are some of the more prevalent ones. And then at the end of five years, we stopped the blinding and looked at the data, and we found for autoimmune diseases that actually both supplements looked effective which is really exciting. There have been a lot of hypothesizing about these supplements reducing the risk of autoimmune disease, and there are many reasons that they could be beneficial, but we didn't have a trial like this to prove it because certainly there are many other what we call confounders in observational data that because you eat a healthier diet and have more vitamin D or more um, omega-3 fatty acids in your diet, this goes along with a lot of other things that may make you healthier and make you less likely to get an autoimmune disease. But here we took people who look identical in a lot of other regards, uh, they, you know, in terms of their age, race, sex, education, where they lived, all these other things were very well randomized. And um, we had more new cases of autoimmune disease develop in the people getting the placebo arms than in getting um, any of the intervention arms, actually. So, Dr. Kostenbader, how good were these supplements in pr- protecting people from the autoimmune diseases you were looking at? So autoimmune diseases, as I said, we went through the medical records and we tried to confirm all new autoimmune diseases. And in some cases, it was difficult. So we had a pile of people that we called the confirmed autoimmune diseases, new autoimmune diseases, and there were 278 of them. And then we had other people who were pretty likely were also new autoimmune diseases, but we couldn't get enough in the medical records to make sure, and we called those uh, the probable. So between confirmed and probable, we had 457 new cases. So for the vitamin D, um, we saw at the end of uh, five years that the hazard ratio was 0.78, so that's a 22% reduction in uh, the risk of having a new autoimmune disease, and that's the the confirmed autoimmune diseases, and that was statistically significant. And then for 
the N3 fatty acid supplementation over five years, we found the hazard ratio was uh, 0.85, and that was a 15% reduction, which looked very good, but it did not make statistical significance. But then when I don't do about these other probable cases, when we added in the confirmed improbable cases up to 457, then we saw the hazard ratio was 0.82. So that's, um, what, an 18% reduction, and that was statistically significant. And what, so between the two, we had a nice reduction. And what about the combined? What if people were taking both fish oil and vitamin D? Was there a synergistic effect? Right. So that was one of the main hypotheses that we had going into the trial. And uh, the forearm factorial groups um, design really is nice for looking at whether there's synergy because we had a group taking placebo, placebo, and then we had a group taking uh, both active agents. And so what we saw is actually taking any of them reduced the risk of developing autoimmunity, but we didn't see a statistical interaction synergy between the two, which is interesting. We, we have, there's much more to do to, to tease this apart. So in when we looked in the four arms with about 6,400 people in each of the four different groups, we found that the placebo group had the highest risk of developing um, autoimmune diseases. And then in the active, uh, the two um, active agents, the hazard ratio was 0.69, which is definitely low. And in the um, omega-3 fatty acid, it was 0.68. No, I'm sorry, that's a vitamin D active, but the uh, N3 placebo. And then the N3 active was 0.74. So um, it looks like, like they were all pretty significantly reduced. Now, what's so fascinating about this study, uh, at least from my perspective, is this is as good as it gets. I mean, this is the gold standard. Pharmaceuticals don't always achieve this level of success. And I think many of your colleagues tend to think, oh, well, drugs, that's evidence-based medicine. Those dietary supplements, that's... um, Eh, that's kind of squishy. It's not real science. But here we have real science suggesting that both vitamin D and omega-3 fatty acids, fish oil, can be beneficial. And there aren't a lot of things that we can do to prevent autoimmune disease, are there? I totally agree with you on all accounts. Um, I agree that uh, we often, you know, patients ask all the time about both diet and supplements and what they should do, and doctors don't know. I mean, healthcare providers don't know because these things are usually not tested. I mean, you go to vitamin stores, and there are a thousand different preparations and and um, different kinds of vitamins, and people go, you know, follow fads and take different things, and they've never been tested, so doctors don't know. There definitely was lots of observation data that people who had higher omega-3 fatty acid levels in their blood had lower level lower risks of going on to develop autoimmune disease or people who had higher vitamin D levels had lower risk of going on to develop uh, autoimmune disease and and or if they had uh, different dietary patterns but those observation studies as I said could all be flawed it could be that as you know you develop autoimmune disease there is inflammation and that does something to, to change your circulating levels of vitamin D and omega-3, but it doesn't mean it was causal. But in a, in a huge randomized trial like this, this was, as you said, really the gold standard. This is, you know, very, it was completely blinded. Nobody knew what anyone was taking. Um, the, the four groups looked really identical, and there was very good randomization. There was very good follow-up people. Um, we, we assured adherence by testing 
um, about two-thirds of the people got their blood tested to make sure that their vitamin D and omega-3 levels were going up, that we were actually taking the pills. And and here we have the, the result that it actually after five years, they, they did have these effects. And I think I was as flabbergasted as anyone because it's a very strong result. And, um, and actually for the cancer and cardiovascular disease outcomes, uh, study that we didn't have uh, in the same trial. There was no significant events. Maybe, maybe for MI, maybe in some group, myocardial infarction, and maybe in some subgroups, they saw a glimmer that, they, that the agents might have had protective effects, but not to this extent. Now, Dr. Kostenbader, you were looking at prevention of uh, new diagnoses for autoimmune diseases. Do we have any reason to think that these supplements would be helpful for people who already have an autoimmune condition? Yes, and I think for a long, that's a very good question. I think for a long time, we have recommended um, vitamin D to our patients with autoimmune and inflammatory conditions, if only because we were recommending it for osteoporosis prevention, because we know that vitamin D also has a very strong um, effect on bone metabolism and people with inflammatory diseases and on uh, steroids, prednisone, have a lot of bone loss. And then there have been studies that uh, vitamin D did have beneficial effects in autoimmune diseases such as systemic lupus and multiple sclerosis. And similarly, with omega-3 fatty acids or fish oils, there are older trials in the literature of patients with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and other conditions showing that they do have benefit. I think it's actually harder to study, and there are not very many high-quality trials, definitely not this big, in patients with autoimmune disease because once a person is diagnosed with autoimmune disease, of course, they get all kinds of treatments thrown at them, and uh, we don't ever really know if it's the treatments that are changing versus, you know, things like diet and supplements. But there are, there are some smaller trials that do point to their effects in early disease and in disease stabilization in people with autoimmune inflammatory disease. You're listening to Dr. Karen Kostenbader. She's a rheumatologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, where she directs the lupus program. She's also a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. After the break, we'll find out how to translate the findings from the vital trial into action. How long does it take for supplements to provide protection? We'll also talk with Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum about the heart benefits of fish oil. Which foods are richest in omega-3 fatty acids? Get some advice on whether you should be taking omega-3 supplements. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements. Cocoflavanols are among the most well-studied plant-based nutrients, backed by 20 years of scientific research. Cocovia Cardio Health is available in capsules or powder providing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols daily. This supports better blood flow and vascular performance. Cocovia also offers Memory Plus, a supplement with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols. This product is backed by four different clinical studies, demonstrating significant improvement in several aspects of memory. Cocovia flavanols offer you all the benefits of chocolate without the sugar. Get 15% off your order by using the discount code PEOPLES15. That discount code, 
Peoples 15. More information at cocovia.com. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. We're talking about the vital trial of vitamin D and omega-3 fatty acids. Do you take fish oil or vitamin D? How much is appropriate? We're talking with Dr. Karen Kostenbader. Our guest is a rheumatologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kostenbader, if our listeners want to put the results of your study into action, how would they do that? And what kind of doses are you talking about? Right. So definitely the dose. The limitation of the trial is that we only were able to, in this big, big trial, to study one dose and one preparation of each of the supplements. So we, our results really are only generalizable to that, that preparation and that dose. Um, and as I said, you go into the vitamin store and there are many different doses and there are many different uh, formulations um, some of which are kind of approved and have been more reviewed and have stamps of approval, but in others have, have not. Um, so we, uh, in this trial, it was 2,000 international units of vitamin D a day, and it was 1,000 milligrams of the omega-3 fatty acids. So the uh, vitamin D, 2,000 international units, is probably a little bit higher than is recommended for most people to take in. And so I think uh, it is good to talk to your doctor and the the omega-3 fatty acids. I think if you want to start either of these, it's a very good idea to talk to your doctor first. When you start any new supplement or medication, make sure that they're safe for you. We did have to exclude at the start of the trial people who had kidney stones, for example, because higher dose vitamin D can lead to calcium absorption, reabsorption in the, in the uh, GI system and higher levels of calcium can contribute to kidney stones. So there are some side effects. So if you have kidney stones, for example, probably shouldn't take high dose of vitamin D. And then for the omega-3 fatty acids, some of the preparations are really fish, so because they're very abundant in fish. They're, so if they're marine fatty acids, then you have to make sure you don't have a fish allergy, you're not uh, allergic to anything else in there. There's a theoretical concern about um, bleeding time has been shown to be a little bit um, longer in people taking omega-3s, so people taking anticoagulants want to talk to their doctors, and maybe higher doses um, have been associated with uh, arrhythmias, heart arrhythmias, but not the 1,000. So I would say stick to the doses and the preparations, the formulations that we studied and talk to your doctor, but they were very, very safe. So that being said, we didn't see any signal for increased adverse events or adverse effects in um, all of the arms compared to placebo um, in this trial for five years. One quick question about how long it takes. I think a lot of times people expect, oh, I'll take a drug and it'll go to work tomorrow or in a week or two. How long does it take for these kinds of supplements to kick in? 
Yeah, that's very observant. And so in the trial, we did think it would take a while for them to kick in because, well, first of all, autoimmune disease we know develops slowly in people and it doesn't develop on the day it's diagnosed. So we figured, you know, the first couple of years of new autoimmune diseases, probably they were already brewing before the time of the start of the trial and and less influenced by um, starting the new medication uh, or the new supplement. So what we saw it was that for vitamin D, the curves did not separate between the people taking placebo who had a higher risk eventually of developing new onset disease versus the supplement people until about two or three years. So it took for vitamin D, it took two or three years. And that may be because it really has these immune system effects. It resets the entire immune system and um, down-regulates the interplay between the T cells and the B cells and the monocytes and the macrophages, et cetera. And that takes a while for that whole system to be reset. For the omega-3 fatty acids, actually, the curve started separating right away. And that was really interesting to us as well. We didn't see the same delayed effect. And that may be because it has a different mechanism of action. Maybe, maybe it's because it's working more on the uh, inflammation resolution side. And so if there is some brewing inflammation already, it can already suppress that. We don't really know. So, the, But the vitamin D effect, definitely, it's very interesting to see the curves. They're superimposable until about two and a half, three years, and then they start to separate. Dr. Karen Kostenbader, thank you very much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Dr. Karen Kostenbader. She's a rheumatologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kostenbader was an investigator on the VITAL trial. You'll find a link to her paper on our website. We turn now to Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum. Her specialty is preventive cardiology. She's founder and CEO of HeartTech Health, a med tech innovation to decrease the risk of women's cardiovascular disease. Dr. Steinbaum is author of Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum's Heart Book, Every Woman's Guide to a Heart-Healthy Life. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum. Thank you so much for having me. We've just talked with Dr. Karen Kostenbader about the VITAL, V-I-T-A-L, trial and the effects of omega-3 fatty acids on autoimmune diseases. Dr. Steinbaum, we'd like to get your perspective on on some background in omega-3s, like what's the difference between EPA and DHA and ALA, and why are they important for our normal physiology? Omega-3s are one of these things we've been talking about for so many years. And in fact, many years ago, when the American Heart Association was looking at this notion of supplements and should we take supplements, omega-3s has been that one thing that has stood out as being an essential fat, meaning we only can get it from our food or outside sources. Our body doesn't make it. So it's been the only thing that has really been considered a possibly essential supplement for those of us who aren't getting it from our food. Omega-3s are part of cell membranes. They're part of arterial walls, the eyes, the brain, the heart. And as you've discussed, they regulate inflammation. But they are essential for these organ systems, yet we don't make them inside. We have to get them externally. As you mentioned, omega-3s are made up of EPA and DHA and ALA. 
EPA is part of the omega-3 that really is the most protective for cardiovascular disease in the arterial wall. And DHA is really important for the functioning of the brain and the eye. It's highly concentrated in the brain, so very, very important for cognition and brain health. And ALA, which is the most common, it's found in vegetable oils and nuts, a very high in walnuts, in fact, but also in canola oils and soy oils. And it's really about energy. It doesn't turn into DHA and EPA, which is really the bioavailability of it is less, but yet it's it's a bigger portion and part of our diets. Dr. Steinbaum, you've mentioned that we have to get these essential fatty acids from our food. Can you tell us a little bit about what foods, other than the walnuts that you just mentioned and the vegetables, are rich in omega-3 fatty acids? We know that DHA and EPA are very high in fish, in cold water fatty fish. And those are, are fish like anchovies and halibut, salmon, tuna, mackerel, trout. And they're also high in some of the shellfish like crab and mussels and oysters. But they could be found in things like flax seeds and olive oil, as we mentioned, nuts, and also avocado. Now, Dr. Steinbaum, I have this long memory, and it goes back to the studies of the Inuit people and fish oil. And my recollection is that there were some very intriguing studies decades ago, and then somehow people forgot about them and or kind of lost interest. And that seems to be changing, but maybe you could give us a, a quick historical perspective on quote unquote, omega-3 fatty acids slash fish oil. Well, what you're referring to is this population that was eating a lot of cold water fatty fish. And there was a decreased incidence in cardiovascular disease in that population. So trials went on. There were two very large trials, again, decades ago. Um, one of the trials looked at heart attack survivors. And supplementation was given using omega-3s at one gram a day, 1,000 milligrams. And it was given to these people over a three-year period. And in this one trial, there was a decrease in heart attack and stroke and actually a reduction in cardiovascular sudden death. This was one of the most profound studies because this really drove the cardiovascular community to believe that there is definitely a role in omega of omega-3s, not only in diet, but perhaps supplementation. And then there was another trial that came out after then, looking at a population that took Again, omega-3s high in EPA, the part of the omega-3 that's most protective for cardiovascular disease, along with a statin, which decreases cholesterol, and there was a reduction in cardiovascular events. Those two trials really led the cardiovascular community to probably be on the forefront of looking at the huge role in omega-3s in cardiovascular health. So let's talk a little bit about history, because then what happened? There was another trial that came out, part of the Women's Health Initiative that was really focused on hormone replacement therapy, but part of that trial actually looked at vitamin supplementation. And in this large study, 
it showed that vitamin supplementation was actually not beneficial or helpful to prevent cardiovascular disease. And there was a shift in thinking. Although this trial did not look specifically at omega-3s, it looked at vitamin A and D and E and K, it looked at this whole notion of supplementation. And unfortunately, as the years went on, more research came out about supplements in general and how there's not standardization, that there's not FDA overlooking the supplement industry. And it showed that supplements themselves might not be pure or really have ingredients in them that it says on the label. And this lack of standardization became part of the narrative. And that narrative became less about do omega-3s actually help and should we consider them as an important and essential supplement to all supplements are bad. And that's a little bit of the history. What we've learned recently from the VITAL trial is that omega-3s actually might be helpful, but for reduction of cardiovascular disease, it was a little less clear whether or not it was. Recently, a drug came out called Vasepa, which is a pharmaceutical-grade medication that is pure EPA, that part of the omega-3 that prevents against cardiovascular disease. And in this trial, it looked at people who already had heart events, and they had elevated triglycerides. We know that omega-3s can bring down triglycerides. Part of this population also had diabetes. Others didn't have diabetes, but had other risk factors of heart disease. But they were all high risk by the sheer fact that they had a cardiovascular event and elevated triglycerides. And in this trial with Vasepa, all EPA at very high doses, there was about a 30% reduction in heart attacks, stroke, and death. Well, this was enlightening and actually brought up the omega-3 conversation again. So where we sit today is a little different than it was the decades ago when those initial trials looked at omega-3, when the Inuit population was discussed. We're in a place today where we know omega-3s are really helpful. And we know the pharmaceutical industry created something that showed help. But there's always been this little bit of confusion around it. Are they good? Are they necessary? Who were they for? And how do we decide whether or not this should be part of our lives? Dr. Steinbaum, I think people want to know, how do we decide whether we should be taking omega-3 supplements? Who are they best for? And what sorts of doses are we talking about? So this becomes the most challenging part of the conversation because we have ourselves that we can rely on. We have our physicians or our healthcare providers that we can rely on. And we have to somehow partner with someone that might be able to help us really make this decision. So first and foremost, it becomes important to understand exactly who you are and what your lifestyle is about. And that comes down to your diet in this particular situation. As we keep saying, omega-3s are essential fats. You don't make them inside, so you have to get them from outside. That outside is going to be from the foods we talked about, the fatty fish, flaxseed, olive oil, nuts, avocado. But how much are you actually eating? Are you one of those people who say, I'd rather eat anything else but fish, which is something I have actually heard in the past from patients. 
So self-evaluation is important. One piece of this story becomes challenging, which is omega-3s are often variably absorbed, meaning one person could be eating the same food as another person and their omega-3 levels in their bloodstream could be different. And one person might actually have enough omega-3s through their diet and another person might not. So this becomes a challenge. I will tell you there are two ways to handle this. If you have a healthcare provider that you really can partner with, there is a blood test out there called an omega-3 index. It is a simple blood test that can actually check your omega-3 level in your bloodstream. And you can objectively know, do you need to take a supplement or not? You can objectively figure out how much you need to take. And so I would strongly recommend you doing that and find out, is an omega-3 supplement good for you or not? And how many milligrams you need to take every day by simply checking another omega-3 index level. Then I will tell you that for certain cohorts of people, meaning certain people with certain medical backgrounds or information or disease processes, you might just want to take an omega-3 because it's good for you and we know it'll help prevent disease progression. One of those I mentioned is someone with high triglycerides. Omega-3s can decrease those triglycerides. Now, if they're very, very high, then a pharmaceutical-grade omega-3 might be important. If they're slightly elevated, taking an omega-3 supplement might be enough. Again, this can be monitored through blood testing, through checking your lipid levels. We certainly know that the development of the brain and cognition in children, it's very important to incorporate omega-3s in the diet. And as we get older, cognition, prevention of dementia, dilatation of the arteries as arteries dilate, pressure goes down, the heart is much healthier, that omega-3s might be important as we grow older to prevent cardiovascular disease and to prevent dementia. The milligram, the dose, it becomes very challenging. And I often in my office do rely on the omega-3 index because it is such a uniquely personalized way to provide a preventive strategy using supplementation. You're listening to Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, founder and CEO of Heart Tech Health and author of Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum's Heart Book, Every Woman's Guide to a Heart Healthy Life. After the break, we look at the differences between DHA and EPA and learn the best ratios. What conditions benefit from omega-3 supplements besides cardiovascular health? Are there side effects from fish oil? Dr. Steinbaum shares her advice on omega-3 supplements. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is brought to you in part by Kaya Biotics, organic probiotic supplements. These supplements are made in the USA with high-quality, sustainably sourced ingredients. Originally developed in Germany, Kaya Biotics offers three different formulations with 15 carefully selected strains of bacteria. These are designed to increase the diversity of your gut flora and support your immune system. 
More information at kayabiotics.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, offering plant-based nutrients in the form of cocoflavanols for brain and heart health, online at cocovia.com. We've just been talking about the vital study of vitamin D and fish oil. It was a huge randomized controlled trial published in the BMJ It shows that both supplements reduce the likelihood of developing autoimmune diseases like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. There's a link to the study from our website, peoplespharmacy.com. We're now talking with an expert in the field of omega-3 fatty acids. There's been some confusion about their benefits and risks. Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum is founder and CEO of Heart Tech Health and author of Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum's Heart Book, Every Woman's Guide to a Heart-Healthy Life. Dr. Steinbaum, I think there's a lot of confusion about the ratio of DHA to EPA. For example, Vasepa, as you described it, is just pure EPA, eicosapentaenoic acid. But a lot of the fish oil that people can buy over the counter, which is way more affordable, let's be honest, Vasepa as a as a prescription drug is an expensive way to get your omega-3 fatty acids. So it really has to be prescribed and the insurance company has to get on board with the program. But if somebody w- went over the counter, it it might be 30 or $40 for a month's supply. But How do you know how much EPA and DHA to have? Because there's so many different formulations. Well, you're bringing up another challenging, challenging point. We know that DHA is more important for brain health than heart health. When you look at an omega-3 supplement that's focused on brain health, that ratio often is four to one. Many supplements do have a one-to-one ratio, and in some supplements, the reverse is there. That EPA elevation in a three-to-one ratio to DHA is better for, for heart health. And so there becomes that issue of why am I taking this? Even for some patients who are prescribed pharmaceutical-grade EPA, I will say to them, I want you to take a DHA supplement as well. And I will suggest they get a four to one DHA to EPA ratio because we already have that heart health covered. And so I want to make sure that the brain health using DHA is there as well. It is important, I think, for all of us to also understand our own personal risks. Do we have a family history of heart disease? Do we have hypertension? The major risk factors of heart disease are high blood pressure, high cholesterol, elevated sugars, family history, poor diets, sedentary lifestyle, smoking, being overweight or obese. So when we look at ourselves and we look at our own personal risk of heart disease, if we are at risk, then I would suggest taking an omega-3 supplement in the ratio of three to one for EPA, which is going to be cardiovascular protection. And I think it's important also to make sure that there is a there is some DHA 
um, in the omega-3 to get that protection for brain health and cognition as well. Dr. Steinbaum, you've mentioned that omega-3 fatty acids can help with our cardiovascular health. They can help with our brain health. Part of that is probably cardiovascular as well. What other conditions do omega-3 fatty acids help with? Well, I think you've discussed um, previously that they're anti-inflammatories. And what's so interesting, if I can bring up this concept of inflammation, is that the progression of cardiovascular plaque is also due to inflammatory process. And so omega-3s are addressing prevention of cardiovascular disease, not only because of its it's part of the arterial walls and helps with dilatation of the arteries, but it also helps from that inflammatory process as well. When you talk about all of these different aspects of care, of clinical implications that taking an omega-3 can do, it's very easy for us to say, gee, why isn't everyone taking one? And when I, again, approach someone and say, before we even draw your blood, look at yourself and really determine if in fact you are at risk or suffering from any of these issues, um, inflammatory as well, and and really decide if if taking an omega-3 might be beneficial for you. One of the things we like to ask, Dr. Steinbaum, and we ask it about supplements as well as about pharmaceuticals, is side effects. We have read that uh, omega-3 fatty acids, fish oil supplements, or even Vasepa, could increase the risk for atrial fibrillation. Is that something people should be concerned about? And can you explain to us what is atrial fibrillation? It's so interesting because the mechanism behind the disease process is what we're trying to treat. And atrial fibrillation is probably the most common arrhythmia of the heart. Uh, In fact, we're really considering it an epidemic for people over the age of 65, Depending on the reason for atrial fibrillation to be happening depends on whether or not omega-3s could or could not be helpful. So if it's more of an inflammatory sort of process that happens, then uh, omega-3s could be potentially good. But as you mentioned, for some, it actually might not be good and could potentially be a side effect. Other side effects that can happen from omega-3s are an increase in bleeding. And if someone is on a blood thinner, omega-3s might increase bleeding time and might not be uh, good for you to take. So it's really important to talk to your healthcare provider before going on an omega-3 to see if maybe you would be at risk for increased bleeding or at increased risk for atrial fibrillation. Dr. Steinbaum, speaking of talking to your healthcare provider, there are a lot of your colleagues, a lot of physicians who they just say no to dietary supplements. It's like, nah, just eat a well-balanced diet. That's all you need. Skip the vitamins, skip the supplements. It's all a waste of money. And they base that in part on 
a variety of clinical trials that have produced mixed results. I'm wondering, how do you talk to your colleagues when it comes to the the varying results and then to your patients so that they can maybe have clarity when it's been so confusing? It's so funny you asked that question. Um, I actually had a conversation with a colleague about this yesterday, and he was very emphatic that there was no role for supplements at all. He didn't want to hear it exactly what you're describing. And I always come at it from the place that we started this conversation. It's always interesting to talk about the history, as you mentioned, because if you talk about the history of how a thought develops, you can often understand why there's controversy and address that controversy from a very different place. One of the things that we know in science is objective data provides us an infrastructure to really guide our thought process. And so although I agree that supplements and many supplements are not necessary for all, some supplements are important. And when we have that objective data, like a blood test that can guide us in maybe considering some supplementation for some people, it actually makes physicians feel more comfortable. They understand it better. It's tangible. But when people do come in with a list of supplements of variety without really having a full grasp and understanding of what each one is for, sometimes they're taking so many. Physicians really retreat and withdraw and say, throw them all in the garbage because what they're for and what they do, sometimes we don't have a good understanding. So what I think is the most important thing is to have an open discussion with your healthcare provider and really explain, this is what I want to take and this is why. And really, can I get this blood test? Again, it's tangible, objective data. It makes more sense. If you have a relationship with a provider who absolutely does not want to have this conversation with you, you're probably not seeing the right physician or right healthcare provider. And I do suggest you see someone else who you can partner with. Advocating for yourself in healthcare in the world today is critically important. And having someone that you can communicate with and partner with is part of your healthcare journey and something that is so important for you that I do suggest you find someone that you can really have a relationship with and a conversation. So Dr. Steinbaum, where does all this confusion leave us? What do you recommend for your patients and your colleagues? When it comes to omega-3s, I really recommend that we keep an open mind in terms of supplementation, that we do know that omega-3s can be beneficial for a cohort of our patients, whether it comes to reduction of triglycerides or prevention of cardiovascular disease and stroke, decreasing inflammation. We need to really look at each patient individually and make a clinical decision whether or not omega-3 supplementation could be beneficial for them, especially for those people whose diets might not be as robust in omega-3s as we would hope for. For physicians, be open-minded, have a conversation with your patient about their diet, and really understand that if they're not getting it through their diet, they need to get it from somewhere, and supplementation might be critical for them. For patients, more is not always better. 
taking more and more of a dose of a supplement isn't always the right way to do it. But taking just enough for what your body needs is probably the most important way to handle supplementations. When it comes to omega-3s, we do have the ability to check and find out through an omega-3 index. Have a conversation with your doctor. Talk to your doctor about your diet and talk to your doctor about your health care concerns. If an omega-3 is something that you do want to take, you can figure out how much you need simply by a blood test. But if that's not accessible to you, have the conversation to decide together what would be the right dose in the safest way to take it. Dr. Steinbaum, you've mentioned the omega-3 index. Can you tell us, please, what specifically it measures and what would be the appropriate parameters? What would be a a good number or a good range on the omega-3 index? So the omega-3 index measures the amount of omega-3 in the bloodstream, and it gives us a level. We want an omega-3 index to be greater than five. It gives not an, it doesn't divide up the DHA and EPA components, but it's a measurement of the total EPA and DHA in the red blood cells and in the membranes. And we really want that level, like I said, above five and hopefully around eight. Uh, And it's a very, very simple blood test to take. Dr. Steinbaum, I suspect that a lot of people have heard that EPA is good for the heart, DHA is good for the brain, but a lot of our listeners are concerned about arthritis. You know, those joints start to creak and hurt. I have a lot of, uh, a lot of tennis partners who complain about their, their elbows and their knees and their hips. I wonder if you can give us a little insight on the issue of inflammation and how Omega-3 fatty acids can be helpful. We once interviewed uh, a, a physician who was the, a team physician for a football team, and he said, yeah, I, I routinely prescribe omega-3 fatty acids. It helps them you know, play at their, at their highest level. So give us a little insight on that inflammation problem that affects so many folks. So we know that omega-3s can regulate inflammation through um, a hormonal process. And so for people who suffer from any inflammatory issues, as you mentioned, arthritis being one of the most common, there is the potential for the omega-3 to actually decrease uh, that inflammatory process and really help with pain. So I I hear that often from the athletes and the trainers that omega-3 is something that they put in all their their athletes' toolkits as being an anti-inflammatory. Certainly other inflammatory diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, things like that, autoimmune diseases, it could potentially decrease inflammation in those and have been shown to be helpful. It really depends on how significant your disease process is, how bad the inflammation is, but we do know that an over-the-counter omega-3 certainly has helped many of our patients historically and clinically, and sometimes how a patient feels or how an individual feels clinically 
if they are getting better from something like an omega-3, 100%, we all have to be on board in giving them support in taking something that can physiologically reduce inflammation and therefore reduce symptoms. And do you have any doses that you generally recommend for the quote unquote average patient who would walk in with some osteoarthritis? Well, that gets to be an interesting question um, because I always start low and go up. And that is my own clinical way of dealing with things. So I'll say, let's start on 1,000 milligrams a day. Let's see how you feel. Give it a couple weeks and we can go up to 2,000. And I usually keep it at 2,000. For those patients with other issues, we can go as high as 4,000. And that's for people with really high triglycerides. But for the average individual who might have some aches and pains and stiffness, I would suggest um, 2,000 milligrams. Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, thank you ever so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum. Her specialty is preventive cardiology. She's founder and CEO of Heart Tech Health and has helped institute heart prevention programs at Mount Sinai Heart, Northwell, Lenox Hill, and Beth Israel. Dr. Steinbaum is author of Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum's Heart Book, Every Woman's Guide to a Heart-Healthy Life. We spoke earlier with Dr. Karen Kostenbader, a rheumatologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, where she directs the lupus program. She's also a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kostenbader was an investigator on the VITAL trial. You'll find a link to it at peoplespharmacy.com. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, the maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support both cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,300. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You could subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. When you go to peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter. If you want to learn about drug alerts, this is an easy way to stay on top of the breaking health news. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you so much for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do 
and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.